This week on Writers Inc. Then in the middle, that that's the perfect sort of goal. That's someone who has the skills, all the artwork and skills, but has a bit of an ego. Has because that's where the creative creation, you know, all the creativity is. Um, so somewhere in the middle there, that's the sort of perfect designer that an author should be going for. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. What's going on, man? Uh, you know, so... I, I've been trying not to watch the news and I'm not going to go into the news. Um, but I, I, you know, like I think everybody's just kind of on edge because of everything that's going on. And like, I, I feel like I'm just dialed up to 11 and totally aggravated for no reason at all. And I, I just got a phone call from my brother, um, my, my niece who just graduated high school with a 4.0 average decided to forego college, marry her boyfriend who's in the army and move to Korea. Whoa. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. Like I had no idea any of this was even a possibility. I didn't even know she had a boyfriend, um, let, let alone all this. So I'm, I'm trying to let that sink in a little bit and trying not to, you know, respond with some kind of knee jerk reaction. Um, I just I can't imagine getting married at 18 years old and, and going off into a foreign country to do it. Um, but it's not, not my life to live. Age. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean. Maybe, you know, I don't know, 40 years ago, that might have been the way things were, but it's hard to imagine. I don't know. I look I look at my son who's 18 and I'm like, he can barely change the roll of toilet paper. <laughs> at least I heard that from my wife. <laughs> but like that kind of responsibility of, uh, you know, being married and in a foreign country, that's a that's outstanding. I can't even imagine how you deal with that. Well, just think about yourself. I mean, like we're the person you are, you were at 18. I mean, it was very different from the person you, you become at 25 or sure. 30 or 35. Um, you know, I'm on my second marriage and I, I like to think that I got it right this time, but <laughs> you know, I, I was in my twenties the first time around when I got married and I, and I thought that I, I knew what I was doing. I thought I, you know, I was old enough to, to take that leap and you know, I wasn't. Um, so I just, I can't imagine at 18, like God, yeah, it's, so anyway, <laughs> trying try to, try to process that. Um, yeah, I got an email this morning, and we'll get back to some industry stuff here. Um, HMH, Houghton Mifflin and Harcourt, which is one of my publishers, um, they they announced their their third quarter um, financials, and they also announced that they intend to explore potential sales of their books and media division. Um, which Whoa. came completely out of the blue. Um, I, I have no idea how that's going to impact me. I probably won't. I mean, if it means that I can get my rights back, that would be awesome. But I've got a feeling they're not going to let you know my books go. Like the, the ones that are selling, I think are going to be the ones that they're going to they're going to hold on to. Um, HMH though is is a very weird publishing company. They always have been because they they make the bulk of their revenue from textbooks. Um, you know, it's a lot of if you're if you're in school, if you're in high school, you're in college or whatever. If you flip it over and look at the spine, there's a good chance that that book came from HMH. Um, so that's always been the 
the real breadwinner for them. Um, and, the you know, the fiction books and that side of it has been kind of like a little side project. Um, so I'm not sure what actually spurred this on. I, I know they've had a lot of turnover and changes over the last, you know, like year or two, you know, like since I've been with them, you know, I've had two editors, um, the president of the company has changed over, um, you know, so that kind of thing has, has been happening. But this one kind of came out of out of the out of blue. What's in the media division exactly? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's going to, I'm guessing that includes like their audio books and things along those lines. But um, I just, I saw the announcement and I tried to put it aside because I was trying to get my words in when, when I got that. And I, I haven't taken a whole lot of time to research it. Um, but I, I'm guessing anything related to their, you know, the non-textbook side of the business, I think is going to be part of this. Um, and, you know, like, and it's obvious it's a, there's a shift going on in the industry. I mean, Simon and Schuster is on the, you know, the for sale table. Yeah. Um, now, now this is out there too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what that means for the, the industry. I mean, from what I can tell and, and, you know, from my, my sales on the indie side, like people are buying books, you know, they're buying a lot of books right now, um, to, to get through the, the pandemic and they're just, they're stuck at home. But like, you know, my, my sales have been up since this, this all started. Um, so I can't imagine the traditional guys are, are not experiencing that unless this is just all a byproduct of, um, you know, the bookstores, you know, being closed and just uh, the books themselves, physical copies, just not moving as much as they need to. I wonder, though, if on the other side of the market, uh, other things were happening. So I interviewed a an author for an upcoming episode this morning, and she was saying that uh, her her perception of what's happening with Trad Pub and maybe going from the big five to the big four is that it's going to be harder and harder to for a new author or a first-time author to get a book sold, that they're going to rely on, on their big breadwinners the same way Hollywood does. Yeah, I think I think that's where we're going, and, I, and I'm seeing a lot of that in the you know the books that they're buying. Like the, those numbers are getting smaller and smaller. They're they're not aggressively going out there looking for that hot debut anymore. Um, they're you know it, it's almost like a you know there's a storm outside. They close the door and they're just looking at you know what what's made them money in the past. Let's stick with what we know works, and um, you know we'll revisit all this other stuff later. And you know in in the you know the past couple of years, you know, for the longest time, it's always been those big names are the ones that you know bring in enough money where they can afford to go out there and. And, and you know, take a chance on a debut author, um, and try to build a new brand. Um, if that dries up, I mean, it, it's it's obviously not a very good you know long term solution because those big name authors, you know, they're only going to be around for so long. Like you you have to keep you know filling that pipeline with with something fresh, um, or it will eventually dry up. Um, so it, it seems kind of short sighted to to not do that. Um, I, I don't know if this is virus related or if it's just industry related. You know, a combination of both. It's really hard to say right now. Yeah, it might just be a survival mode move, you know, like, you know, they get they have to stop the bleeding now. And, and so, uh, you know, focus on on the 10 percent of the authors who are bringing in 90 percent of the revenue and worry about the other stuff later. But like you said, that's not a good long term solution. Yeah. So we'll have to see where it goes. Uh, what's going on with you? Oh, just plugging along. Uh, I'm, I'm almost halfway through the uh, draft of Darwin's Challenge. Uh, so adding adding the pros to the to the dialogue and uh chipping away at that having a great time so uh what about you what are you working on right now uh wrapping up a, a new book um for my agent um my wife actually just went through it she's really good at, at trimming the fat 
um, you know, where I tend to, you know, and she'll find the spots where I'm wordy, things that don't necessarily need to be there. Um, so I'm going through that right now. I've got the whole book printed out on my desk and each one of her little comments are highlighted and I look at it and, oh, that absolutely needs to be in there. You're wrong. And then I think about it for 10 seconds and, and, and look at it and I'm like, you know, she's probably right. I could lose that <laughs> 200 words could come out and nobody's going to ever know the difference other than me. Um, cause we, we all end up doing that. You know, like I write two to 3000 words a day, you know, not all those words belong in that, that final book. Sure. You, know, you know, a lot of times I look at that word count, you know, and I'm, I'm like at 1200, I'm, you know, I, I'll drop two or 300 words just real quick stream of conscious kind of, you know, it's something that feels like it should be in there, but it, you know, in the end it's, you know, an information dump, or it might be something that just doesn't necessarily lend itself to the story. Um, I, I know in on writing, this is that moment where we're, we have to mention Stephen King. Um, he, he, he <laughs> mentions that when he, yeah, whenever he finishes a book, he puts it in a drawer for, for a month or two and, and then he revisits it again, because when you do that, you, you tend to read it the second time as a reader. Um, and you know, but with that, that foreknowledge of knowing where the book is going to go and a lot of those little things that can come out kind of jump out at you and when you put that little bit of a removed you know behind you I, I think it helps it makes it easier to make those cuts um, you know, I know for me personally, like, you know, it's all about getting the word count down on paper. But once I hit that final word for the book, um, you know, like this book is at 131,000. I know that's too long. Um, so I'm totally okay going back and chopping out 500 here, 300 here, you know, and, and even if it's a, you know, a great paragraph, you know, it's something that I want to keep. Um, if it doesn't need to be there, it, it needs to go. Uh, and I, I used to do that thing too, where I would drop them all into one particular file. Like, this is such a great scene. I'm going to use it somewhere. Um, but no, you, you never end up. Never using <laughs> That stuff just all ends up sitting in that file, and the file gets bigger and bigger, and you know you never look at it again. Yeah, the process is more important than the outcome. So that, you know, once you've gotten those words out, that's where the benefit has, has come in. Yeah, and I'm also at like in, in this particular one. You know, my wife was reading through it. And she's like, "Well, your lead character is kind of you know kind of stale. Like, I'm not really relating to him." And and it's funny because I went back through my notes and I, I actually made a note. You know, found so and so's voice here. Um, and it was on chapter 14. So like I know from chapter 14 onward, I've, I've got that voice nailed. So I've got to go back through those first, you know, 14 chapters and kind of bring it up to speed. Yeah. Um, this one's a little tricky because it bounces around in time. It starts in the 1970s and it works its way all the, all the way up to present day. Mm. Um, so I've got a character that starts off in his 20s and he ends in his, he ends up in his 60s. Um, so I, I need to show that growth in there too. So like my you know, chapter 14 is, is roughly, he's 30 some years old or so. Um, so I got to create the younger version of him, the older version of him. Um, that gets a little tricky, but it, you know, it's fun. You like those long time frames, don't you? Well, I've done both. I mean, a lot of my books, you know, they take place over a couple of days. I've got one book that's sitting on my hard drive that takes place over a minute. <laughs> um, you know, it's a whole novel, but it's, you know, sort of like 24, you know, it was 24 hours, like this kind of takes place like that. So, um, for the most part, a lot of my books, I think are, are shorter time frames, but, um, it, it's kind of fun to, to try and do it, you know, something a little bit different. I, yeah. I think with this one, it's just because with all the virus stuff going on, I just, I didn't want to have to write a scene in present day. Um, and I'm still on the fence about this. And I, I think yep. Joanna was actually talking about it on her podcast. Like if, if you are writing in present day right now, are you even mentioning this or do you just leave it out altogether? And, you know, are we going to pretend that this didn't happen, you know, at least from a literary standpoint? Um, you know, I, I, with this particular book, I made a conscious decision to write something outside of 2020 because I just didn't want to deal with it. Yep. Um, you know, so I think a lot of authors right now are trying to decide on that. Um, you know, I think we're all hoping this is just going to be a little blip and people are going to forget about it in a couple of years and there's no point in actually putting it in the, in the books. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the, what the answer to that is. It's, I, I guess time will tell, but, uh, right. Like if you're publishing in the next six months or, or drafting in the next six months, that's a, 
That's a tough question. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I just listened to an audio book. Um, if you've got Audible, they give you free, you know, free audio books as part of your account. And I listened to one. Um, it was an Audible original, and I forget the title, but it, but it was set, you know, present day England, um, talking about the virus, and it was basically a, a, a girl shows up on this guy's doorstep and claims to be his long lost granddaughter, um, and he lets her in, and they end up being quarantined together throughout the virus. And like, it was a decent story, but you know, at the same time, like I, I read to escape, you know, a lot of these things. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want that to be in my book so yeah that's a good point too we'll see so who do we have on today we have Stuart 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 Bache yes cover designer extraordinaire yeah yeah well, uh, you're a client of his I am and I've been I've been really busting him late, lately because um, you know with the New York Times thing I'm, we're going back through all my books and, and redesigning the covers and, and adding that moniker to it but like I really want to create a brand name look for my name you know something that we can stamp on every book that you know still just across you know they, so they all look like they belong together um, so I've been working with him and, and a couple other designers trying to come up with whatever that that is um, we're still not quite there yet um, and I'm using a focus group to pick them so every time designs come in I just send them all off to this focus group and they rank them in order um, and his his has been the, the lead I mean he, he knows what he's doing I mean he's got a yeah. really really good eye for this he's one of those unique people you know a lot of times people that are artists um, and designers are not necessarily able to relate to the business side of things it's usually either business or artist there's very few people that are capable of, of walking both of those lines and, and he's one of them um, because he's got that artistic eye um, he's a professionally trained artist um, but at the same time he understands the business side he understands understands exactly what needs to be on that cover in order to sell, you know, regardless of genre and story, he, he knows what it needs to look like. And, and that's huge. You know, it's not all about a pretty picture. Yeah, for sure. And he's got a, a wide range of experience in different uh, aspects of the industry. So it's going to be, it's going to be fun talking to him. Uh, before we roll into that interview, we need to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Kobo Writing Life. So uh, great, great to have Kobo on board here. And if you're looking for uh, high quality, individualized customer service. Kobo is the way to go. You can set your prices, do all kinds of promotions. So uh, make sure you check out Kobo Writing Life uh, if you're going wide with your books. And we also want to give a shout out to uh, a new patron, Tracy Devlin. So Tracy, thanks so much for becoming a patron of the Writers Inc. podcast. We really appreciate that. All righty. Let's get into it. Stuart Beige. I would love to know the story of how Books Covered got started. Um, so I was art director at the time at um, a small um, independent uh, publishers uh, in London. Um, and I hadn't been there very long, but um, uh, I, my wife was uh, at uh, HarperCollins in the UK. And uh, we were both sort of thinking, you know, is this what we want? You know, we were kind of really busy and we thought, uh, I was uh, very good friends with Mark Dawson and uh, uh, who's a really big indie uh, author. And uh, we'd been sort of working together for a few years on and off. And he told me about his, um, uh, uh, his, his new course that he was coming out, he was bringing out self-publishing uh, formula and, I just thought things just seemed to kind of all sort of meld at the time. We always think it was working together and we just thought, okay, we, we need to kind of do something and uh, positive and different. And uh, my, my wife was, as I say, was an editor at HarperCollins. And so we decided to kind of join forces and uh, when Books Covered was born, um, it was quite small initially. And we kind of worked with some trad and indie and a bit of a, a mix of different authors. 
Um, but we actually found that um, we were working more and more with indie authors. And so our company kind of became more positioned towards towards that. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a really exciting time. Um, a lot of things happened at the same time. We moved out of London and, uh, and uh, bought a house and started having children and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really good. Oh, that's awesome. It's great to hear. And, and your, your design is just beautiful. It's fantastic. I mean, people, uh, it, it, uh, they go to the website. I'll have a link in the show notes and check out some of the work you've done for, for Mark and for Adam Croft and, and for JD as well. Uh, yeah. very, very distinctive designs, very genre specific. And, uh, uh, just, I think a model for, for what indie covers can be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it's changed. The indie world has changed in the last five, six years or so. Um, and um, it's become, I, I use a lot of the things that I learned in working in Trad. I worked in Trad for over 12 years and um, uh, the way that we mark, market our books and the way we position the covers and the way we think about them and how they're briefed and everything. I, I use all of that information to work with my indie authors. Um, and uh, it's it's been great. I've worked across a, a huge variety of things. I've been looking my time to work with Stephen King and um, John Le Carre, and um, I, I designed the original uh, Bird Box cover for Josh Mellerman. And and you know, so in Trad, I got to design across huge swathes of different genres. But um, I use all of that knowledge for for my indie authors. Um, and there are lots of things that are, are very similar um, and there are a huge amount of things that are different, uh, but there's lots and lots of potential within the authors that you can do um, that you can't always do in, uh, in traditional publishing. Mm. You said that indie, the indie world has changed over the past five years. What types of changes have you seen? I think that indie authors um, are seeing a lot more potential in themselves I think they're uh, getting a lot more uh, confident and um, I think people are starting to see uh, outside of the indie um, world. I think people um, in traditional publishing and, and places like that are, are, are looking at indie authors, especially the most successful ones and seeing that they are um, uh, doing things uh, really differently. And they, like I say, there's a confidence there now, like, you know, I th previously, I think people saw them as being like vanity publishing or something like that. You know that they weren't getting uh, edited properly and they weren't getting professional covers and that kind of thing. But which is absolute nonsense. You know, I mean, it has ever since before before I worked like exclusively with indies, um, uh, everything was they had editors and they had um, you know people writing their blurbs for their back covers and things like that. You know, they uh, they were. Um, really taking it seriously and thinking of it as a business and i think that's the the difference is that it was it had gone from being um that these authors were trying to get published with trad and and sort of just all they wanted to do was write it was that they started to think well okay i i'm not able to necessarily do that because it's so hard to get your book published but i can do all of those things and i can learn myself and i can uh, of how, how to do it the, the best way and I can all these services are available and um, I think um, I think that's what changed I think that, that uh, there was sort of at, all at the same time maybe it was at the same time as um, uh, Kindle publishing or something when, when something like that sort of really kicked off it really changed 
all these services started coming out, things like Readsy and things, all those sorts of places started uh, being created. I think um, the opportunity to uh, work with so many different professionals has completely changed the landscape of um, independent publishing. Yeah, and it seems as though you're you're right there helping out a lot of these indie authors in, in several different ways. So I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, Cover Lab or um, Cover Design for Authors, the course you have on uh, self-publishing formula, and, and how those are helping uh, indie authors who may, maybe aren't cover designers. Yeah, um, well, um, well, I took um, uh, uh, quite an interest in Mark's course. Uh, so Mark Dawson has a, a few courses, and one of the first ones, that, the second one he did, 101, I did a little, a little thing about cover design and just sort of talked about the basics behind it. Uh, it gave me a bit of an idea to maybe put my own course together. So, um, uh, so working with Mark and uh, James Blatch, and the rest of the SPF team, I, we created uh, a course. Um, and this course was, it was really aimed at people. So in the authors, there's, there's a sort of spectrum. There's, there's the people who are, are, are doing quite well now. And so they can afford to, you know, have lots of things done quite professionally and, and pay a bit more extra money. But then there are people who are starting out and might, may not have uh, the budget for, uh, things like covers, which are, which are important, but I can see why people like leave that to last sometimes. And you know, because editing is is vastly important. You want people to appreciate your writing and know that you've done it correctly. And sometimes with cover, kind of goes, okay, now I can I can I can do that another time, or maybe later down the line, I'll have it professionally done when I've made a bit of money from my books. Um, so there, we designed the course with different people in mind. So. There are um, tutorials which are um, sort of talk about the, the process behind designing a cover. So how I think about cover designs um, in terms of research and um, uh, where, um, uh, where how, I, how I research and how I look at the market and uh, how I, I use a term called familiarity theory, which essentially means if when you're doing your research in your genre, Whatever's doing the best, um, and, and you'll see tropes, you'll see similar styles, whether it's typeface or the type of image, whether it's purely photographic or whether it's illustrated, all of those different things. And it's not a case of copying, it's just a case of emulating. So um, I see books as, uh, uh, as products and people buy in a particular way, especially with books. Um, and the cover needs to tell you things like genre and it needs to tell you a little bit of content, a little bit of narrative, but not too much. And um, it needs to tell you who the author is. So it has to kind of impart all this information, but you'll see that each genre kind of has a, a theme. Um, they might not all look exactly the same, but there's like a sort of thing that you kind of need to, to sort of tick off. And it just means that when you're uh, browsing on Amazon or when you're in a bookshop, um, uh, when you're walking past or, or like I say, a, a, a pile of books, um, you have like a couple of seconds, maybe even not even that, to kind of recognise what that book is and how it's, you know, whether it's something that you want to read or not. So all of these things kind of have been distilled over the years to, to a point where, we kind of have an idea of what works and what doesn't work. 
it doesn't mean to say things all stay the same, etc. But it's it, it it does mean that you know that at this time this is working quite well. So I call it familiarity theory. Anyway, it, there's a lot of talk about things like that, and that's so there's a lot of theory um, to help you understand the process. Even if you wanted to work with a designer rather than do it yourself, you can understand the process a bit more. Um, but then there's practicals as well. So there's Photoshop practicals, and I, I take kind of the sort of top six uh, sort of genres, so crime and psychological thriller and romance, that kind of thing. And I just design a cover um, using the theory and the the, the um, research that I, I've done beforehand. So you see all of that, and then you, you I take all of that information and I start putting the cover together. And it's only one cover, um, and I don't do all the varieties of that, that thing but it's essentially i'm using i'm trying to teach you how to go from research to picture research to typographic research to final image and final cover and in that cover i'll also talk about a few little photoshop tweaks and tricks to kind of really um unify everything so rather than just putting some type on and an image and everything how to kind of make it all work with things like shadows and how to anchor your images and that kind of thing so that's that's what the course is about um in terms of cover lab um so i, I did some podcasts i still do some podcasts with uh, the spf guys um with uh, their book lab um and uh, I, I do a little cover bit on it so i talk about someone's cover and i just thought well people find it really helpful so for a time i'm um, really difficult at the moment i have got a six month old yeah. and a two-year-old so i can't always get, don't always get a chance to to do it so um it's uh, i'm not doing it at the moment but I, when i do I, I switch it on on my website and i, I market it and i advertise it and uh, i have it is quite popular and i get a few people just wanting to talk about their covers talk about whether they you know something's not working um you know there maybe their marketing you know is working, but no one's actually buying the books, or is it the cover, and all that sort of thing. And I'll sort of talk through and kind of try and whittle it down to see whether it is, um, and whether it's their cover, or, or it could be something else completely. Um, and I, I wrote a book as well, um, The Author's Guide to Cover Design, which is um, it's, it's very similar to the course, but without images, it hasn't got the practical side. It's more about the theory behind book cover design and, but also how to, um, so it talks about the process in a way of trying to help an author or any any client who works with a, with a designer, a book cover designer about what their process is so they can understand it a bit better um, and how to write a better brief and understand things like copyright of images and who, who owns what, so who does the cover um, belong to at the end of the process? Is it the client or is it the designer or is it a mix of both and that kind of thing? So, yeah, there's a few things that we've done over the years. Um, it's actually weird talking about it because you forget sometimes that you've actually done these things. But, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, the body of work adds up over, over time. It really does. It does, yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your... Uh, I don't know if it's a transition because I don't know if you were writing prior to the book that you put out, but uh, was was that your your first sort of long form narrative, or or had you been writing before? Uh, well, the reason I got into publishing in the first place, sort of fifteen years ago, was um, 
I was writing, so I was traveling a lot in my early twenties and, um, and I was writing bits and bobs. So I had a real interest in it. And I, the reason I, um, I went for a job at, um, Hodder and Stoughton, which is part of Hachette in the UK, um, was because I thought I might pick up some tips and tricks, um, which is a really silly idea to, to, for, for a job. Um, because you don't know whether you actually want to do it or not, but you're just there for the tips. Um, but um, I got a junior position and um, I loved it and I, I learned so much and it changed um, my the way I, the, the sort of trajectory of my career because I was, I was working in branding and I was doing bits and bobs here and there, but I wasn't really doing it. didn't really know what I wanted to do in design, but it cemented what I really enjoyed was working on and then one piece of art, several concepts, but one kind of idea, one brief and sort of working through that. And anyway, um, when Books Covered came, uh, when we set Books, Books Covered up, um, uh, and before we had kids, I had a, a few ideas of things that I wanted to do, and the course was doing quite well. And I thought actually a book, people kept saying, well, we, you need to kind of put something together that would, you know, that we can read that sort of works alongside it. And so I did, and that's where the book came from. But I really enjoyed writing it and I really, um, I wanted to, it to be less of a textbook. I didn't want it to be kind of, I don't know, really formal or anything. I wanted to, I wanted to have a bit of humour in there as well. So I, I kind of made it really casual, and uh, it's it's got quite good reviews. I've got um, at least forty two reviews, I think, across the world. So it's not quite in just one country, but <laughs> across the world, I've got forty two reviews, and I've got four and a half stars so that's not too bad yeah but um so that's quite fun and learning the process of uploading your book and you know actually being the person to you know, put the cover together for my own for myself was kind of cool but uh my wife and i are um are writing uh, uh, a fiction a, a mystery together um because we've been dying to do something like this for a while and so having written the author's guide even though it's non-fiction and that came out two years ago, I think, um, we finally kind of come to a point where when we have a moment, we can actually sort of start like talking about it and I write it and my wife sort of edits and rewrites it. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's fun. I've, I've wanted, that's the kind of coming back to something that I wanted to do about, like I say, 15 years ago plus. So yeah, it sort of opened my eyes to it again. Yeah. When, when do you write or where do you write? Do you schedule it? Is it whenever you can fit it in? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much where, wherever I can fit it in. So at the moment, um, my work day, my normal work day is, um, the two hours that my daughter naps, um, <laughs> in the day and then in the evening. Um, and cause we, you know, we, we, we work from home and, um, uh, we don't have childcare or anything. So we, we have our, we have our kids from at home all day as well. So we, we do the childcare aspect as well as everything else. And, um, uh, and our company has grown quite a bit and I have two designers, um, at the moment and, uh, uh assistants and people who do different things. So it, um, it gave us some space. So, uh, to do other things. And one of the, these things is is to write and uh, and it's uh, we've got um well at some point this year it's been an editor at the moment 
um but it's it's been really fun to do something like that so yeah at the moment it's it's in the evenings it's in my office uh, which is um where i am at the moment um and uh, but i i use scrivener um or scrivener i can never know i never know how to pronounce it but <laughs> yeah. um and it's on everything it's on my phone it's on my ipad it's on you know it's on my laptop it's on my my, my main computer on my wacom so i'm i work across all of them whenever i get a chance um, but most of the time it's uh, in the dead of night um when the when the house is quiet <laughs> I can appreciate that. Uh, yeah. yeah, you you mentioned having multiple designers and and some assistants helping you out. I always find when I talk to less experienced authors, they really don't understand the relationship between a cover designer and an author. So, uh, in a perfect world, what does that relationship look like from from your side of the table? Um I think uh, from both sides, from a design perspective, I think um, an author, uh, the, the, the best designer an author can work with um, is someone who has, um, is, is as commercially minded as possible. Um, so, and has a bit of trad experience potentially. Um, I think it just means that you, you see things differently and you, 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 as I said before, the a book is a um, is a product, and you have to market that product. Um, so I think a designer who has that kind of experience is really good because they appreciate books and they appreciate the um, the author and what the ideas the author has. I think um, I used to say that um, uh, the best sort of cover, de- uh, best designer actually is someone who. Sort of sits dead in the middle of the spect of a, like a sort of spectrum. Of one end is like a Mac, what we used to call Mac monkeys, like people who just sort of know their skills, artworking, all that kind of stuff. But will just sort of sit there and do anything. But the problem with Mac monkeys is that they just totally do as they're told, and they just sit there and they don't have, they don't speak up and whatever, and they're quite quiet. And then the other side is the ego, and they're the they're the uber creatives, and they don't take crap from anyone and they just sort of do the they want to do what they want to do and they're super creative and all that kind of stuff but then in the middle that's that's the perfect sort of goal that's someone who has the skills all the artworking skills but has a bit of an ego has because that's where the creative creation you know all the creativity is um so somewhere in the middle there that's the sort of perfect designer that an author should be going for but in terms of like the relationship between an, an author and a designer um i think that it's best not to go in with the idea that that um i'm going to tell this designer what i want it's better to go in with the idea of saying this is what my idea is and this is what i think of the book but you know i've chosen you because i've seen your work and you're a professional and whatever so I'm open to your expertise and let's discuss it and let's talk about it. I think there has to be a little bit of give on both ends. So I think a designer who produces concepts and is too precious about them, is going to struggle because, you know, changes have to be made. It's, it's just part of the process. And on the other side, you know, um, not to expect, uh, I used to call it the offering um, in back in when I worked in trad. So sometimes you would have six months before a book was coming out. And over those 
first five months, you would just be pouring concepts out every week. They'd go into a meeting and this cover art meeting where you know, the heads of every department would sit and they would just go, nope, nope, hate that, hate that color, don't like this. Wow. And it would be just like that forever. And sometimes you'd be on a, you'd be, you know, working on one like thread, you know, so yeah, okay, we kind of like this. And then you do several variations of that. Yeah, we kind of like this one out of those variations. It would go on like that. And then a month before it needed to go to press, that's when the decisions were made. And you might actually go right to the beginning again and find the very first concept you ever did, or you might end up starting very fresh. And then that's before it's even gone to the author, before it's even gone to any markets like um, bookstores, you know, the sales reps there might go, hate this, we're only going to buy 100 books, that kind of thing. It's before any of those things happen. So um, uh, I think if, if you if you're going in thinking, okay, I'm, I'm paying 450, you know, pounds for this. I want to see at least 50 concepts before I've even want to decide. Then that's just not it's just not workable. There are designers who will do that because they think that that's part of the job, but I don't think it's um, healthy. So I think the the, the, the as with life, it balances good. And um, from a design perspective, having a little bit of um, give and understanding what your author wants and from an author's perspective um giving your designer some freedom to be creative and uh uh not expecting the world or, or the moon on a stick you know just sort of um you know being part of the process and uh and in, you know don't be open to to new designs because you never know um they, your designer might create something that you weren't expecting and um, and it might be the best best for your book, and you don't realise it. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot, and I, I'm the same. Um, we have expectations, and there's a, a book cover in your head, and you think, okay, this is what I want, but that that's never going to happen. We're never, you're never ever going to be able to. I can't do it. I can't do it myself for my own books. <laughs> you know, I have an idea, and it never actually get that exact thing. So how I expect someone else to do it. It's just not going to happen. So, um, yeah, as, as I say, it's, it's all balance. Yeah, that's really helpful because I think that relationship is often misunderstood from both sides of the table. So I think that's uh, that'll be good for people to, to, to keep that in mind when they look for their next cover designer. Uh, so I'd like to kind of maybe pull the conversation to a close with a, a question for you. Given the fact that you have uh, experience in the trad world and you've been in the indie world and you've seen a lot of stuff in the industry, um, where do you think the publishing industry is headed? Uh, as in trad or indie or, or both? Either or and both. Either yeah. or and both. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of things in the, the news recently uh, with some trad uh, um uh, in terms of things like Simon and Schuster and, and that kind of thing, which has been quite quite worrying, it's a difficult one because I have a lot of friends still in trad and um, they work so hard and um, they understand their side of the business so well, whether they're in editorial or marketing or, or design. Um, but there are people who are maybe at the top who have been in it for so long that sometimes they can't see that changes are happening quite frequently and that, you know, 
I think there's a lot they could learn from, say, indie authors. Indie authors are really pushing, because they can, because it's just their own books and they're individuals. They don't have these, you know, they're not worrying about paying for thousands of jobs or anything. So they can change quite quickly. But I think um, uh, Trad could look at indies and look at how they sort of market their books and how they um, can change things quite quickly and um, uh, and think of all the different ways. So lots of video marketing is, 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 is working really quite well at the moment. And um, and I, I work with LJ Ross as well and um, uh, her and her husband are, are fantastic at marketing and they look at all sorts of different aspects, things that I, I've never even thought of. And, and Mark Dawson is, is amazing, obviously. Um, and Adam Croft, they all do very different things, and but they can test things and they try different things out in changing covers. If it's not or they try different variation, all that kind of stuff. No, no, but Trad does do that. But I think that Indies could learn from Trad in terms of looking at the market um, and how, how they sort of pitch their cover designs and how they think about cover designs. There's a huge amount of research that goes into them. Um, and so I think there's there's learning on both sides. So I think in the future, I think or hope that um, traditional publishing will become a little um, more open to new directions, um, work with more authors, accept more authors, um, and spread their um, their budget more fairly and equally, because at the moment it tends to be you know, best-selling books from best-selling authors who will always be best-selling authors. They get a huge portion of the budget and then it trickles down if it even reaches some authors down at the bottom. Some people just get a tweet when their book comes out. Um, and I think indies, you know, I think rather well, every every time I look at something, you know, they, they're always doing you know, a new thing, a new post from another indie that's doing well like joanna penn or whatever they are adapting and i think that's that's it i think it's adaptation um, an adaptation that is that the right word um it's adapting to different environments yeah, works. and it's adapting to um that kind of thing you know and it's it's trying to it's not about moving with the time it's kind of like con- controlling everything you know it's sort of you've got your um it's your products and your your sort of uh uh I'm just rambling now. I've completely lost my thread. But it, you know, and essentially, it's it's about um, uh, this sort of ad- adapting to different uh, uh, ways of thinking. And you know, digital is is massive, and I think it's still neglected a lot in trad. Um, and uh, and and also on on the flip side, I think indies could work and learn a lot more about the quality of their books like the covers and the sort of finishes and that kind of thing. But all that will come, I think. All right, there was Stuart. Uh, what are your thoughts, JD? And every time I hear somebody from the UK, it makes me want to get on a plane and go and live there for a couple of years just to get the accent. Yeah, it sounds like so articulate, right? And just so yeah, together. Like a, yeah, like he, he could probably speak about anything and you just, you want to believe him because of that accent. <laughs> like he, he knows what he's talking about because of that accent. Uh, yeah. But you know, he mentioned something that, you know, I, I've, I've thrown this out there many times, um, but I always hear it from people that are, are doing well in this business and that the book them is a product. 
Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that, you know, as, as authors, we need to wrap our head around, you know, in the end, we're creating a widget that needs to be sold to somebody else. Um, and, and he totally understands that. And when you talk to successful writers, they understand it too. They, you know, as, as much as it's about crafting an art form, you know, at the same time, that art form is a widget. It's a product. It's something that, that needs to be boxed up, shelved and, and sold to somebody else. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think in, uh, in the context of that, uh, it was really good to hear his take from the cover designer side about finding that balance or that medium be, um, f as the author. So in dealing with the cover design artist, not being completely demanding and directive and telling the designer exactly what should be on it. And at the other end of the spectrum, not sort of not giving them any information to kind of find that that middle ground. Is, is that a middle ground you feel like you have with Stuart? Uh, he's definitely good at pulling that information out of me, and, and he nailed it. You know, he, he, I think every author has an idea of what they want their cover to look like in their head. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when I see that you know, idea brought to life, I'm totally off base. I'm totally wrong. Um, and, but he's very good at pulling out those details and, and taking it to the next level. Um, you know, like with the book that I'm working on now, like the cover that we started with and, and we followed the same kind of chain that he mentioned, he basically created a cover very similar to what I told him I was looking for. Um, and you know, he had the blurb for the book. And then the second one that he sent me was something more along the lines of what he felt fit the blurb. Um, and that took me off in a totally different direction that I didn't even consider, um, and, and, and we just kind of kept revamping from there and he's very good at pulling those details out. You know, they'll send you one or two images, you know, almost like an AB test, you know, which one do you like better? Um, and you know, he just kind of guides you along, which is very helpful because you know, I, I am terrible when it comes to covers. Like, you know, if you put it in front of me, I can tell you whether or not I like it, but that doesn't mean other people are going to like it. Um, and, and he's capable of, of getting that information out of you and creating something that you as the author likes and also something that is going to grab people's attention because, you know, like he pointed out, you know, you only have a, a, a second, a millisecond probably to grab somebody's attention, you know, whether it's a physical book sitting on a shelf in the bookstore or they're, they're scrolling through, a, you know, an, an online website and, and just kind of, you know, flipping through or an email or whatever it is. Um, think about BookBub when it comes in. I know for me personally, like I, I fly through that email really quick. I scroll right on through and, you know, the cover is what grabs me every single time. And then I read the title and then maybe who the author is. And then I go and read the blurb. And if I'm still interested, then I'll actually click through and, and maybe buy it. But it's it's that cover image that, that sells it. It's in a lot of ways, the cover is, is just as important, um, if not more important than the story itself. Um, you still have to write a good book, but, you know, if you, you could write the best book in the world if you package it in a brown wrapper that nobody likes. It, it's not going to get read. Yeah, I'm pretty much like you. I'm terrible with with covers as far as knowing what <laughs> what sells and what doesn't. And I think that's one of the biggest problems I see that authors have, as, well, mostly independent authors, uh, in in choosing a cover is that they fall in love with the cover or a design or an element, and they're not thinking about it from the reader's perspective. The cover, especially on the electronic bookshelf, is a sales tool. It's not meant to convey plot. It's not meant to introduce your character to the reader. It, it's meant to convey genre so that the reader knows the uh, expected experience they're going to get. So for me, I almost try to be very detached and unemotional from my covers. I see, I get them back, and and I and, unless there's something that's hideously wrong, I basically tell a designer like, "Yeah, go with it," because that designer might be making. 40 or 50 genre covers a month and like and and they're they're knowing what the reader expectations are so i think it's it's a hard line to walk because you want to be excited about your cover but i think uh, recognizing that you might not be the reader 
is is an important thing to keep in mind. And something else that he brings to the table that I think a lot of people don't think about is, you know, the, the covers that that you're you're getting today or the cover you're creating today. Um, that's, you know, the book itself isn't going to be out for, you know, if a traditional a year and a half from now or six months from now, or even if you indie publish it in a couple of months. So you're not really designing a cover for a book today. Um, you're designing the, you know, the cover for a book tomorrow. Um, and he's got his ear to the ground. He knows not only what his team is putting together, but, you know, he, he knows where the industry itself is leaning, you know, what, what looks are, are kind of dominating, you know, the, the current design market for the books that are going to be coming out down the road, not necessarily what's out today. Because if you create a cover today, based on what you see out there today, it's, it's already outdated. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Stuart. I think his little one was asleep. And so if he sounds a little soft-spoken, that might be part of it. <laughs> but uh, really informative. Great to hear his perspective, especially all the work he does with the self-publishing formula guys and uh, with Mark and James over there. And just really great to get that that uh, insight. Yeah, he's, he's definitely one my go-to guy now for covers, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Oh, okay, who do we have next week? Next week, we have uh, one of our northern neighbors, Mickey Mickelson, is, is coming on. He runs a, a, a PR agency, uh, really helpful in getting authors uh, vi some visibility in different platforms and different media, and uh, just, a, just a, a really fascinating guy. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. That, that'll definitely be interesting. I've had a, a love-hate relationship with publicists throughout the years, so I, I can't wait to hear what he's got to bring to the table. Should be fun. Absolutely. To our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.